I'd like to start with a poem. This is entitled St. Francis and the Sow. It's written by uh, Galway Cannell. The bud stands for all things, even for those things that don't flower, for everything flowers from within of self-blessing, though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness, to put a hand on its brow of the flower and retell it in words and in touch, it is lovely, until it flowers again from within of self-blessing. As St. Francis put his hand on the creased forehead of the sow and told her in words and in touch, blessings of earth on the sow, and the sow began remembering all down her thick length, from the earthen snout all the way through the fodder and slops to the spiritual curl of the tail, from the hard spininess spiked out from the spine down through the great broken heart to the sheer blue melkin dreaminess spurting and shuddering from the 14 teats into the 14 mouths sucking and blowing beneath them, the long, perfect loveliness of sow. So it, it might make sense by the end of uh, you know, my talking why I wanted to read that. Um, but the title I sent was Courage in Covenant. I talk a lot when I speak to groups of Unitarian Universalists about um, us in relationship to the world. This sermon is a little bit more about us in relationship to each other, but it's also not just in relationship to you use, but individuals in relationship to each other. And it's, I, I'm kind of, I'm working through some conflict stuff. And oddly enough, when I chose to do this sermon, things hadn't happened that have happened since then, and I'm actually sort of in the deep in, in other parts of my life about conflict right now. So I'm thinking about the courage it takes to live in covenant with each other in a congregation or in a marriage or just in being human together on the planet. In a sense, we come to church and speak a covenant, make a covenant, live into a covenant with each other because we're practicing how to be human on the face of the earth, walking around with other beings on the face of the earth, right? So in a sense, I'm thinking of covenant not just as a congregational covenant or a Unitarian Universalist covenant, but it's, it is a way human beings live. Um, it is possible to live perhaps without a sense of covenant, without a sense of being connected, I don't see why anybody would want to do that. For me, to be alive and to be breathing is sharing the air and the stuff of which everything is made. I am connected to all existence. So I'm, I'm thinking about sort of conflict, interpersonal conflict, um, and conflict within church often. But all of this applies in lots of places, lots of places where we, we live and interact with other beings. And my thinking here about the courage it takes to live within and into covenant. And by covenant, I just mean agreements or promises we make to each other, and they're often aspirational, right? We, we, we know we don't do them perfectly all the time, but this is the way we want to be. So 
I started thinking about this because somebody asked me several weeks ago, how do, how do you forgive? This person had been hurt by conflict in the past. Um, we all have stories like that, I think. If you don't have them yet, you're really fortunate. And remember that we talked about this and that it's something we all get to experience at some point in our lives. But this person asked me, how, how do you forgive? And I was like, oh. Gosh, that's, and this is, you know, this is over coffee after church on Sunday kind of thing. So it's kind of like, oh, we don't have time for all of this. Forgiveness, there, there are whole books written on forgiveness, and there's lots of schools of thought about it and how to do it and why it's important and yada, yada, yada. And this is my, my uh, tentative answer. I gave, I gave this person a short answer. I'm kind of fleshed it out a bit more. Um, when I went home, I'm, I'm going to, the next several minutes are my answer. I'm not going to give it to you right now. <laughs> Sorry. I don't have it in a neat sentence. When I went home and told my spouse about this conversation I had, um, he said, oh, yeah, well, you know what they say. Do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? <laughs> and he's, that we've, I, I can tell many of you have heard this before. Um, he's right. That is part of it. And um, being able to move on after conflict, with or without the presence of the person or the groups who have caused that conflictual situation, um, does kind of force us into a choice. How do you, how do you remain oriented to that? Do you, do you hold on to a sense of being wronged, if you're sure you were wronged, and, and then, or you, you may hold on to hurt or pain. It may not be anger, it might be trauma. Um, there are certainly plenty of people inflicting trauma on each other in our world. And that's not easily let go of. There's all sorts of neuroscientific reasons for that. Um, do you, do, you, do you run over and over and over through what happened and try to figure out how it could have been different, how you could have been different? Did you need to be different? Did they? What if only they had just not said or had said or do you have to figure it out? And this is where I lived a lot of my earlier life. Is it life, note to the young folks, I happen to think life gets easier as you get older. Practice really helps. <laughs> I, I have some agreement up here. Um, but I used to try to figure out when something was upset. I, I, it's like I learned that upset is not supposed to be. You're not supposed to be upset. So something's wrong. And it, is it wrong with me or is it wrong with them? Or do, ah, da, ah, da. And I, I would try to figure out. And I'd just go over and I did a you know, little bit of obsessiveness maybe in my brain's structure. But, um, you know, trying to figure this out. Trying to figure out. And I lost a lot of chances to just relax and enjoy what was around me and the people who were around me in those moments because I was busy trying to figure out what was right, what was wrong, what should have been, what wasn't in the situation in which the conflict occurred. And I wonder if sometimes we need to just let go of that. And this, do you want to be right or do you want to be happy? 
it, it feels like a not even choice, you know, what right and wrong and happy and unhappy are like on two different axes, right? So, but when needing to be right to figure things out, to understand what happened, gets in the way of being present in my life, then happy and unhappy does come into the calculation, right? And I effectively, in some ways, in, in some parts, some situations in my life, chose to try to be right. It isn't even like I really got to be right, because I never did figure all those things out, and we'll talk about why in a minute. And I wasn't happy, because I was all busy worrying about things and trying to figure out if I was wrong or if they were wrong or what could be done to fix it and how can we make sure everybody knows I'm right if I'm right. And, it's exhausting, right? So I, I, I'm tempted to think that forgiveness may be beside the point. You may remember that, um, well, no, let me, I'm gonna save that for a minute. I think ultimately right is kind of impossible. That there, there is no place where we get to stand and know that we are as good as we could be and have done as little wrong as we possibly could have done and that we have all the skills we need and all the emotional competence and maturity that we need to have and that the people around us need for us to have. And we never get there. We never get there. Getting older only gets easier, the way I said, if you let go of that project. I'm pretty sure of that, and I'm, I'm, getting, I'm getting nods over here. So I'm not the only one in the room who, who will attest to that. But it's hard to let go. It's hard to let go of that project. And we're trained in our culture to ask things, like how do you forgive sometimes becomes how could you do that? How could you do that? Or how could I do that? Could be. And that question maybe is helpful, except that I think mostly we don't really mean that question. When I say, Sheila, how could you do that? I don't often actually really want you to tell me <laughs> how you could do it. I'm just saying, what's wrong with you? I, I, that's the way you know my brain is looking for the fault and it, it would be nice for me and usually by the way we don't say that directly to people I would say how could Sheila do that I don't understand how could she do that sorry Sheila I'm picking on you and I only, it's only because Sheila has never to my knowledge done anything clearly wrong <laughs> she just happens to be sitting straight in front of me <laughs> and I know her name <laughs> um, I you know, we're often when we say, how could whoever do this, we often tend toward what's wrong with them, which can become a self-justifying, well, I wouldn't do that. We often say that, oh, I wouldn't do that. Or why do you have trouble with that? I don't have trouble with that. Why do you? We could all actually be very curious about why somebody did something. And opening up, taking that question, how could you do that, and not posing it in a judgmental way or in a, with the clear feeling of wanting to get to a judgment about things. 
with that question. And I think that question is pretty much useless because in our culture it does always sort of sit within that. I want to know how you could do that so I can make a judgment about it. So, but a more useful question I've become aware of in the last few years is, what happened to you? And often that question needs to be asked, not just about the conflict that just happened. That's useful too. What, what were you thinking? What were you feeling when we had this, you know, more like this often? What, what was going on with you? But also the question behind that is, what happened to you before you got to that moment, before we were there having conflict with each other? What happened? What's, what have been your experiences? How did you learn how to think about interacting with people? How did you learn how to deal with conflict or not? How did you, what cultural presuppositions did you bring to that interaction that I may or may not have shared? You know, what, what happened to you? And the, the truth is, when we're in conflict with people, and conflict, you know, that, it could be a lot of things. It's, it, it could be, I don't like that people don't pick up after themselves, and they leave their coffee mugs everywhere, and you know, and I, and it could just be, it could be underground conflict like that. Like I'm just muttering to myself and thinking bad things about the people I live with who leave their stuff all over the place, um, or it could be head on, you know. Um, conflict within a congregation that needs to make a decision about doing or saying something or not, or about how they will build a budget for the next year, and people have very different ideas about what to do or not do with funds available. Um, so it can be big things or small things. Um, but we often come at those when we're in those situations, the truth is, when they get sort of heated, none of us really knows what's going on inside other people's heads. And by the way, this is true too when people say things that are hurtful. It, may, it might not be a conflict situation. It's an interaction between two human beings. And somebody says things that are offensive or triggering um, or are in fact microaggressions. Um, and if you don't know what those are, I apologize, but I can't explain them right now. Um, and the other person suddenly is in, uh, uh, you know, in the position of having been or feeling that they have been aggressed against, they've been offended or disrespected, um, or they're upset and they don't know why, or they just don't agree, or you know, it's a perfectly pleasant chat over a coffee cup, which hopefully will return to the proper place when it is done serving as a coffee cup. Um, it just it goes off the rails, and sometimes both parties realize this, and sometimes they don't, and sometimes people decide, oh, you know, the person who feels triggered or upset or distressed or disrespected or unheard or unsupported or unwelcome. And all of those are legitimate responses to a whole lot of things, decides to make an issue of it and starts, you know, gathering allies. Again, this is the search to be right. It doesn't usually make groups happier together. Um, but it happens, it's, and it's so human 
and it has consequences. Sometimes, you know, people leave and people lose people who are dear to them. And how do you forgive that? And some of that, I think, is to meditate often, frequently, upon the fact that we largely are unknowable to each other. And to a much greater extent than we like to think, we're unknowable to ourselves as well. I don't know about you, but there are times I get triggered and it takes me a while, certainly not in the moment, but days or weeks or sometimes even years later, I start to understand, oh, that's why that comment landed that way. And this conversation that was not about that tied somehow to something in my past or was said with a phrase or a tone of voice or an inflection that brought up something in my head that scared me or angered me or made me feel like nothing or made me ashamed or echoed something that somebody who hurt me did once, you know? And all of us have all of this in our brains all the time and in our bodies and I'm not saying we can ever untie this. There are lots of scientists working on studying all this, and I find their work really fascinating. And if you find it fascinating, you should read all about it. But even if we read all about it, we're never going to figure any of us completely out. I'm never going to figure myself out, which is good, because frankly, I intend to live a long time, and I don't like boredom. So at least I'll always have a project. Right? Even when I can't read anymore, I've always thought reading would be what keeps me going. And sometime I won't be able to see well enough. Um, so I'll, I'll be able to be figuring out my head. But we're never, we're never ever going to finish that project. But I wonder if we can learn to accept what is. And I've talked with you all about that before. Here's another Galway Canal poem. It's really short. Don't blink, you'll miss it. Whatever happens, Whatever what is, is, is what I want. Only that, but that. It, the title of that is Prayer, actually, which I find really interesting. Um, so I've, some of you have heard me talk about this poem before, but it's, it's about accepting what is. Ursula Le Guin, another one of my favorite writers who's very wise, says, insofar as one denies what is, one is possessed by what is not, the compulsions, the fantasies, the terrors that flock to fill the void. So, and I think this, this really, for me, makes sense in terms of thinking about interactions with other people. Because I find often, especially in groups like congregations, people end up um, people are trying hard to do things. And I'm, by the way, not speaking about anything I know about anything that happens in this congregation when I'm not standing with you in this room, okay? So I don't know, I'm not, I'm not trying to give you any sort of object lesson or anything. Um, sometimes when upset happens, we end up in other rooms with other people talking it out. Right? And sometimes that's helpful. And sometimes what we're doing is we're spinning our story of what happened. We're, getting to, we're trying to get, get the story straight. And I have found often in those conversations the most useful response. When I'm in that place of trying to, 
wise folks who I'm talking with often say to me, well, you just don't really know. <laughs> you know, because I'll, I'll be speculating why this person did that and what's going on. And are they allied with somebody over here who doesn't like me? And that, so they're coming with, and you know, if I have a wise conversation partner, they are saying to me, do you know that? Can you know that? And often, I just can't. That's unknowable. Why somebody responds to me the way they do or um, projects whatever onto me is often not about me at all. And it's about things I can't know. I may never know. I might know if we end up being good friends five years from now, I may start putting things together and go, oh, OK, I get that. <laughs> But I may never know. And with most of the people in my life, I don't ever know a whole lot of their insides and a lot of what makes them them. So can I live with what is? Can I say that's what I want? I found um, yesterday, Google, my, my friend Google, um, I Googled this poem by Galway Cannell, Prayer. And I found somebody who has a podcast about poetry. His name is Mark Scarborough. Scarborough, B-R-O-U-G-H. He has a, a, um, a podcast called Lyric Life. And episode 74 is about this poem, this little whatever happens poem. And he looks at where the line breaks. It's only three lines, the way the poet wrote it. Whatever what happens, period, whatever. And then the middle line is, what is, in italics, what is, is, is what I, is what, line break, I want, period. Only that, period, but that, period, okay? But he looks at this middle line, and it's what is, is, is what? Um, and actually, I, I, I saw a, a video clip of the poet reading this um, poem. And um, afterwards, he had a couple of comments. And he said, I, I kind of like this poem because I got to use is three times in a row, and it's actually grammatical. <laughs> but anyway, back to Mark Scarborough. He's saying that that's sort of what. I mean, so what is a, an indeterminate word? You can't define what. It's a, you know, it's a placeholder. It's a question word in English, right? So you have what and on the beginning and what at the end, and in the middle you've got is, is, is. And so he said, this is being surrounded by indefiniteness. And I thought, oh, that's where we live. That's where we, that's where we stand in the middle of every conversation we're having with another person. We are being Together, we are beings, and we're surrounded by all this indefiniteness. And a lot of it's inside each of us, or all of us. That's, that's what is. That's like, oh, wow. Um, this is a, it's a great poem, because who knows what it really means. Um, but being surrounded by indefiniteness. And when we can't accept that indefiniteness, when we try to nail things down, and that can be useful. 
we have all sorts of life-saving technology because people studied things and nailed it down and did the studies and tried, did the engineering and tried the, did the trials and adapted the things. And, and, and yes, we, uh, we've got vaccines, which means we don't have to wear our masks here if we don't want to today, and we're probably okay. Um, these are good things, but when, it, when we become attached to always being able to meet everything that feels challenging our lives, with that need to be right about it, to figure out the right way to think about it, we can't be happy, because that is an impossible project. We will never, ever finish that project. So we best get used to wanting what is, instead of explaining it and judging it and knowing that we are right in our stance toward it, we're better off perhaps just being in the middle of a bunch of indefiniteness because maybe that's what is. And I think we can be kinder to each other, more compassionate to each other once we start trying to live into accepting that. Again, I don't think, and there are probably some really great people, maybe the Buddha, Jesus perhaps, and you know, there, there are gurus and um, holy people who maybe approach much closer to that than the rest of us. For the most part, it's always going to be a thing we have to practice and talk about, think about, come back to over and over again. Which is part of why I, I like Galway Cannell's poem about St. Pat, um, I keep saying St. Patrick, but it's St. Francis and the sow. But that, that line, everything flowers from within of self-blessing, though sometimes it is necessary to reteach a thing its loveliness. You know, so it's, it's not that we have to be our own individual project, disconnected from each other. We we're able. When we can accept what is and how we can't know it and how it must make a kind of sense somewhere for Sheila to have done whatever horrible thing she did, um, <laughs> I don't need to know that to also affirm, I don't need to know how it makes sense, to also affirm that Sheila is lovely, just sitting there today, being here and smiling and and. <laughs> involuntarily allowing me to use her as an example. Uh, thank you, Sheila. Um, so, courage. I think it does take courage to be human and to be present with other human beings who are trying to learn how to be human and to be present. You've heard me quote, again, my spouse said years and years and years ago, it's hard to be human. And that's just become a catchphrase in our life together. <laughs> and also our conversations about the rest of the world. It's hard to be human. It's really hard. So I'm wondering today, that's the point of the whole sermon, if, if maybe we can let that thought, the thought that it's really hard for everybody, for anybody, to be human. And it's hard in different ways, certainly. Many of us have much more privilege economically, or in, there's a whole host of ways we all have it harder or easier than other people, always. But maybe if we can let that knowledge that it is hard for all of us sometimes to be human, 
if we can let that soften us even just a little bit so that we can maybe learn to lean into compassion for ourselves and for each other. Maybe we don't need to worry about forgiveness. Maybe that is forgiveness. Or maybe I really kind of think a lot of what I've learned about forgiveness, the, th the, the messages I've gotten both directly and indirectly from the many different cultures that I was raised in, um, I, I don't think that kind of forgiveness actually is even necessary. It's sort of a juridical kind of understanding. You know, you find out what happened and you make a judgment and then you look for how to fix it or punish correctly or reparations or, and, and none, of, none of those, maybe all of those have a place, but I'm, I'm not sure that's the point. I don't think that gets us very far to being able to live with each other. And maybe if we can learn to just, it's, it's hard to be human and you are having a hard time and this is making me have a hard time. And maybe we'll just give each other space and offer some compassion and maybe space is the most compassionate thing to do. Um, maybe that is good enough. I have another poem, do I have time? Yeah. yeah. No, I'm going to stop. I'm not going to give you another poem. If we, if we run out of things to talk about later, I'll read it for you. Um, but I think it, it might be enough to acknowledge that we are, are all connected and to practice compassion, to feel um, to f hmm to practice feeling whatever we need to feel, to extend worth and dignity. This is a UU principle, it's our first one. To ourselves and to each other. And that, might, it might be that we don't have to understand everything in order to be in relationship and to stay connected to each other, even through times of conflict. And I think, really, it, it is the case that courage is always allowed. I, it, I'm sorry, courage is always required to be in community. We need the courage to allow for difference and flaws and fallibility and trauma and not knowing, not understanding, not having clarity, indeterminateness. We have to find space in ourselves for all of that to be. We don't even have to decide whether it's okay or not. It just is. It is. And if we can find space to accept what is, then those demons, those terrors that, that uh, flash to fill the void, as Ursula Le Guin says, if, if those are not, if we're not leaving space for those, by clinging to trying to find a certainty we will never have, then I think there is space for covenant and there is space for connection and there is space for reminding each other of our loveliness. And wow, I just, I wish when people had to do conflict resolution, which always sounds very scary to me, I'll have to admit, I wish they would talk about it in, way, in terms of, and I think many of them are doing this work this way, but conflict resolution maybe is about reminding each other of our loveliness.
no matter what has happened or will happen. Maybe that would be enough. May it be so. Thank you.